Good morning. We've come now to week three of our sermon series, Dispatches from the Apostolic Church, looking at various passages in the book of Acts. And the reason we're doing this, the purpose of this series, is to remind ourselves of our roots, or to use another metaphor, to shore up our foundations as a church community. And so we began a couple of weeks ago looking at the church commissioned and to consider what what is the mission? What did Jesus give them to do as he left them and ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit? And the last week we heard from Corey Kincaid about the, the, the first order of the commissioned church to establish itself. And they did that with the apostles' teaching and the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. And we saw that the Lord added to their number daily. And now this week we're going to take a look at this commissioned and established church and see it in the midst of persecution. The church persecuted. Now I need to pause and and take note, because as we seek to apply this or, or see how it influences us today, we've got to realize that there are indeed some areas on the globe, around the world, where your life might be in danger because of your faith. Where your freedoms are severely restricted because of the God you worship. Where intense, violent persecution is occurring But we have to recognize that here in little Somerville, South Carolina, that is generally not the case for us. Nevertheless, I do think there is a level of persecution that is occurring or or more and more occurring. And maybe it's passive, maybe it's dismissive, marginalizing, but it's happening. Because we're living in a culture that is increasingly uncomfortable with Christianity. Increasingly uncomfortable that it is in need of salvation. A culture that's increasingly uncomfortable with an idea of grace and forgiveness. And so our faith may lead to ostracism, to being outcast or marginalized. Certainly to recognize that we are increasingly not a majority. This is our reality. We're a church that is more and more at odds with the culture. And listen, that's how it should be. That's how it should be. We're not of this world. This is not our kingdom. We should be at odds with it on many levels. So we want to ask ourselves this morning, what does a church look like Amidst a culture with which it is at odds. And so we're going to be taking a look at Stephen. Um, I encourage you to follow along. Um, I always appreciate it when you're able to do that. It's in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7. We're going to be looking at Stephen's death. And see what it might look like to be a church that is persecuted. We see three things here about Stephen and, and thus about us. Hopefully. Stephen is full of the Spirit. Stephen is peaceful, even in death. And the church after Stephen is bold 
in the face of persecution. Spirit-filled, peaceful, and bold. Let's consider these things in the light of the stoning of Stephen. So we'll begin in Acts chapter 6. We'll start at verse 8. We want to see Stephen is full of the Spirit. This is a Spirit-filled man. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. What are these characteristics we see in Stephen that indicate he's a spirit-filled man? Well, it says very clearly, he was full of grace and power. These aren't opposites. To be full of grace doesn't mean you're just a doormat. And to be full of power doesn't mean you're overbearing and domineering. He's full of grace and power. It was a power that flowed out of God's grace. Nobody would suggest that Stephen or the early apostles were not powerful men, but certainly not powerful in the way we've come to think of it. He performed many great wonders and signs. He was also a wise man. His his opponents disputed with him, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen has a devastatingly sharp mind. He's an intellectual. He's not just one of those guys who feels good about Jesus. He knows Jesus with his heart and with his mind, and he engages. But above all, I think it's important to note that Stephen, in all these things, is engaged publicly with those who would seek to kill him. He does not retreat into his private enclave. He does not circle up the Christian wagons. He doesn't eat his lunch only at Chick-fil-A because they play Christian music. No. Stephen is engaged with the culture. He is so filled with the Holy Spirit that when he is on trial, when he is standing before the council of men that seek to kill him, they all look at him And they saw that his face was like that of an angel. Did you catch that in verse 15? His face was like that of an angel. Stephen was so full of the Spirit that the glory of God was shining from his face. How does that look for us? Do our faces, does our countenance reflect the glory of God? Or do we simply look angry? Angry at the world for failing to embrace us? Or do we fuss and scream like a three-year-old toddler crying out, it's not fair, when we don't get our way culturally? Or in some desperate attempt To stay culturally relevant, do we compromise our faith? Either by watering it down to appeal to modern culture, or do we compromise our faith by closely aligning ourselves with powerful institutions to the point that it compromises our witness to the gospel? Either way you go, it is not 
the glory of God displayed on our faces. Rather, it reflects the whims of the culture and a desire for relevancy. And ultimately, it portrays a life afraid of persecution rather than a life spirit-filled in the midst of it. But Stephen was full of the Spirit. And even in the midst of death, he had peace. That's our second point. He was peaceful even in the midst of his death. Now this peace um, springs from uh, two things. Um, He's peaceful because he has confidence. But he's also peaceful because he's forgiving his enemies. There's two things that make him peaceful. His confidence in God and his forgiveness of his enemies. Um, He has confidence in the forgiveness of Jesus. Let's look at this. Verses 54 to 56 and 59. Let's see how peaceful Stephen is. This is chapter 7 now. Excuse me. When they heard these things, the council, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen was facing death. The the image of these men grinding their teeth, picking up stones. They're, They're angry. They're enraged is what the scripture tells us. And Stephen, about to die, looks up and he sees his Savior. He sees Jesus. The same Jesus who died for him, who gave his life for him. That's who Stephen sees at his death. And so he faces death, not afraid to meet God, not afraid of his past sin, not afraid of his coming judgment. He knows that through the cross, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has been forgiven and united to God. He has confidence. He also has confidence in the the sovereignty of God. Do you remember back in chapter 1, before the Holy Spirit came, when Jesus ascended into heaven, the, the, the disciples were given confidence because of his ascension. Because he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. The place of power and authority ruling over creation. And so when Stephen looks up and sees Jesus, where is he? He's seated at the right hand of God. In the moment of his death, Stephen looks up and he sees the Jesus who is for him. The Jesus who gave his life for him is the same one who rules over all creation. This Jesus rules even over the men who are stoning Stephen, so that even in his suffering, he knows the sovereignty and rule of God. Even death itself has no power over Stephen and cannot separate him from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so out of this confidence, we see forgiveness. Look all the way down to verse 60. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen forgives his attackers because Jesus has forgiven him. 
He looks on these men. He feels the stones hitting his head. He sees them flying at his nose. And he looks at them. He doesn't want revenge. He's not enraged. He says, Lord, forgive them. Lord, I want these men who are killing me to be in heaven with me when they face their death. What a prayer. He forgives his enemies even as they are stoning him. Church, this is good news. The same Jesus that gave Stephen peace, he continues to offer us forgiveness of sins. He continues to to sovereignly reign at the right hand of God. Thus, when we suffer, and to be sure there's two kinds of suffering, whether it's the suffering of illness and sickness, the suffering because we live in a sinful and fallen world, or, or suffering because of persecution, nevertheless, when we suffer, we need not to react out of fear, We need not to compromise one way or the other for the sake of cultural survival. Rather, we can approach persecution. We can approach oppression. We can even approach our deaths in peace because of the forgiveness of the crucified Christ and because of the reign of the ascended Christ. And we can offer that forgiveness even to those who would seek us harm. Final thing we notice is that Stephen is, not Stephen so much as the church after Stephen, he was too, but the church after Stephen is bold in the face of their newfound persecution. Look at chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. Entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Two things happen when the church is persecuted. The first, it's dispersed. Um, the, the mission of the church, Jesus' call to go to Judea and then Samaria and then the ends of the earth, it didn't happen because they sit down and calculated a strategy for how to reach unreached people groups. It happened because God was persecuting, not not God, because their enemies were persecuting them. They drove them out of Jerusalem. But when they left the city, when when they were fleeing for their lives, they were bringing with them the gospel. They were bringing with them the grace of Christ. And they went, it says right here, to Judea and Samaria, the very places Jesus instructed them to go in the first place. And so they were dispersed with the gospel. But the church in Jerusalem was actually rooted and strengthened by persecution as well. Look what happens. Uh, The apostles, it says, stayed in Jerusalem. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. They buried him and they publicly mourned him. They made a spectacle of his funeral They said, this is who we are, and you have martyred one of our own. And they grieved it publicly. This was not allowed by Jewish law, to publicly mourn someone who had blasphemed God. These men were making a statement that they would not back down, that they would not be afraid, that they would not stop believing, but only believe more firmly in the gospel. 
Friends, I think it's time for us to begin to expect to live in a world where we might suffer, where we might be dismissed, ostracized, marginalized, or outcast because of our faith. It's time to expect it. And it's time to stand boldly for the gospel in the midst of it. And so it's my prayer that we would so know the love and the forgiveness of God that we, like Stephen, could be spirit-filled, that we could be peaceful in our death, and that we too could be bold in the face of persecution. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the example of your servant Stephen. Lord, I pray that we would not come away from this text trying to be like Stephen, that that's not the message we've heard because we cannot. Rather, Lord, I pray that we would be convicted because we are not like Stephen. And that in this conviction we would know your love and your grace and the fullness of your Holy Spirit. That we might indeed be a church that's not afraid of being persecuted, but boldly proclaims your gospel in the midst of it. We ask this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.